0: Hello, and welcome to the River of Life podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for service times and directions. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now let's join Senior Pastor Henry Jones as he teaches from the Word of God. We'll
1: begin today in chapter 4, verse 7. 1 John 4, we'll begin in verse 7, and we'll read through chapter 5, verse 5. 1 John 4, 7 is where we will begin. And this morning, love will be the focus of the entire passage It will be what the theologians call the central idea of the text. John will hit on some other things, but love will be the focus, the CIT, the central idea of the text. I'll read 20 verses this morning, and you'll hear the word love 32 times. Love is his subject, and John will not change the subject. I almost entitled this message, Divine Redundancy, because we, we will see the word love over and over and over again. Uh, and I just want to tell you, if God wants to be repetitious and redundant, He can be. And you and I can be sure of this, when He is, He's doing it for a reason, because we need to hear it. Now, we've been calling John the last apostle. But throughout the ages, and he was the last living apostle, but throughout the ages, he has been known as the apostle of love. And so what we will find out as we read this text is some of why he is called the apostle of love. But the bottom line is this, and that is that love is the factor. Love is the dominant factor of each and every truth that John will present to us today. I hope you have your Bibles open by now to 1 John 4, 7, and we'll begin reading there. And the first thing we'll notice as we read, as we think on the subject, the love factor, is that John wants us to know that the love factor is indeed a fact, that it is an indisputable fact. Notice as I begin to read, follow along, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son into sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now the passage begins, and it's restated several times throughout our text today, that we are to love one another. And John very quickly tells us why we are to love one another. The reason we as Christians, born-again Christians, are to love one another is because God is love. Because that's who He is. Because God is love and love is God, according to John. And if you and I had to describe or define God with just one English word, it would be the word love. That would be the word we'd have to choose, because God is love. And so when you and I were born into the kingdom of God, when we had a genuine salvation experience, that means we were born of God. That means we were born of love. That means love is your Father. It means that it was love that birthed you. It was love that brought you in To the faith. It was love that gave you new life in Christ. It was love that brought you into the kingdom of God. Love is your father. Love is your birthmark. Love is where you live. Love is what your life is all about. Now that you are a Christian, we are to love. And what John wants us to understand is that love The love factor is a fact. You can't write it out of the Christian life. It is a part of us. It's a part of who we are. It has to be a part of us. And John says that everything that we know about God and everything God has done for us is based on love. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. He sent Jesus into the world. The greatest expression of love was when God sent Jesus into the world to live and die for us. And when He died on the cross, that was the greatest love. No greater love has a man than this, that He'll lay down His life for His friends. And then John makes this definitive statement in his text. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. That's what John says. Now, that statement gives me the opportunity to quote one of my favorite poems listen carefully i'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day i'd rather one walk with me than merely point the way the eye is a better pupil and more willing than the ear find counsels confusing but examples always clear and the best of all christians are those who live their creed for to see the good in action is what everybody needs I can soon learn to do it if you will let me see it done. I can watch your hands in action, but your tongue too fast may run. And the lectures you deliver may be wise and true, but I'd rather get my lesson by observing what you do. I may misunderstand you and the high advice you give, but there's no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. That is exactly what John is saying in this text. There is no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. You cannot be a Christian on the inside and be something else on the outside. That won't work. He says, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Plain and simple. This is the plain and simple truth. If you do not love, you do not know God. How is it possible That you and I or anybody could be born of God, born of love, birthed by the power of love itself, brought into the kingdom of God. Be the recipients of the extravagant love of God and that whole experience not change us completely. Change every facet of our being by the infilling and the indwelling of love itself. And the answer to that question is, it's not possible. It's not possible at all. And so the first thing we learn from our text is this, that the love factor is a fact. It is the truth. It is the indisputable truth of God that when a person is saved and born again and they come into the kingdom of God, God deposits something in them that cannot be denied. The love of God. Now, the second thing we will see in our text is this. And we'll pick up in chapter 4, verse 12, and that is that the love factor is visible. Here's what he says. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. Now, if we're not careful, we'll miss what he's saying here because the word perfected sometimes is translated completed, brought to full expression or fulfillment or even the word demonstration is used. And what he's saying is no one has seen God at any time, but if we love one another, God abides in us and His love has been fulfilled. It has been demonstrated in and through us. The idea is that you can't see God, but you can see His love at work in the lives of His children. That's what John wants us to see, that it's visible, And then we pick up in verse 13 and he says, By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. Now, let's just stop there just for a moment. He has given us His Spirit. Is John changing the subject here? Is he going from talking about love to talking about the Holy Spirit? Is he changing the subject? And the answer is no. He's on target. This is the subject. You see, the infilling of the Holy Spirit is all about love. That's what it's about. Romans 5.5 5 will help us understand that. The New Living Translation says, And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with what? His love. When God gives you the Holy Spirit, He's giving you the Holy Spirit to fill your heart with love. You see, the moment a person is saved and the Holy Spirit comes in, love comes in. The love of God, if it was a genuine salvation experience, love comes in. And then we in the Christian faith love to talk about those times when we are filled with the Spirit after salvation or we are baptized in the Spirit after salvation. And I believe in all of those. But I'm going to tell you, friends... When the Spirit comes in, when there is an infilling, a release, a baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's all about the love of God. It's all about God's love moving in and through us. I hear people all the time say, I've been filled with the Spirit, or I've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. By the way, in certain places and situations, I'll tell people that. I was saved and the Spirit came in, but then there was a time in my life when I was filled with the Spirit. There was a time when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I love those words. I think they're beautiful words. Don't ever let anybody take those words away from you. Don't be intimidated by the world. We have a God who loves us and will save us and put His Spirit within us and fill us and baptize us and anoint us and do all kinds of wonderful things in our lives. But may I tell you today, friends, that in reality, when you and I are filled with the Spirit and we're baptized by the Holy Spirit, you won't have to tell anybody. You don't have to say a word. You don't have to say a word about it. Because you see, when the Holy Spirit comes into your heart and life, when you are filled with the Spirit, when you are baptized by the Holy Spirit, that whole experience is all about the Holy Spirit filling your heart to the point of overflowing with the divine agape love of God. I want to tell you, you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, you won't have to tell your family. You'll start loving your family in such a way they'll wonder what in the world happened to you. You, 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 won't, have to tell them. you won't have to tell your friends. You get baptized, you get filled with the Spirit, the release of the Holy Spirit through you. And I'm telling you, you won't have to tell your friends, you won't be able to run them off. They'll want to be around you because you're loving them like God wants you to love them. Oh, friends, when you get filled with the Holy Spirit and you start loving your church like you should love your church, it'll be difficult for you to stay away from church. You won't look for excuses to stay away. You'll look for excuses to go. I tell you, on the job, you get filled with the Holy Spirit, you don't have to go in and say, Hey, I want all my coworkers to know I got baptized in the Spirit yesterday at church. No, friends. You'll love your coworkers to the point that they'll think you're up to something. They'll try to figure out what's going on in your life. And you'll love difficult people. You'll love your boss. He may be uh, difficult to deal with. You'll love your boss. You'll love your employees. You, you'll love your enemies. You'll mess your enemies up. You'll confuse the daylights out of them because when the Holy Spirit comes in, fills your heart up with love to the point of overflowing and love begins to flow out of your life and people are saying mean, hateful, ugly things about you and you're loving them in the name of Jesus. That'll mess them up. They won't be able to figure that out. Friends, you'll love your neighbor's dog that keeps coming over and messing up your yard. You see, what will be going on in your life will have nothing to do with what other people are doing. It'll have to do with what God is doing in your heart. And He is releasing something supernatural inside of you that indiscriminately gets poured out on all the world around you. You see, John wants us to know that the love factor is a fact. It's an undeniable fact. But he also wants us to know that the love factor is visible. That when people look at us, when they see us, they'll be able to see the love of God moving in us and through us. We'll pick up our text in John 4:17, and we'll look at the last point today, and that is, the love factor changes everything. It really does. It changes everything. It's not just an indisputable fact. It's not just visible. But the love factor changes everything. Love has been perfected among us in this that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as He is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that that he who loves God must love his brother also. Chapter 5, verse 1, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now friends, we could spend a week on that text. But I can tell you what John wants us to understand and know is that love is the factor that changes everything in your life. I would really like for you to give me your undivided attention for the next few moments because what you're about to hear will change your life. Uh, He begins in chapter 4, verse uh, 17, and he says that love gives us boldness. Did you see that? Love has been perfected among us in that we have boldness in the day of judgment. Do you know what John says? John says that if you will allow the love of God to be released through you, if you'll quit blaming other people, if you'll quit using excuses and alibis, and you'll just understand that God is love and love is God, and when God comes into your heart, He comes in to bring the love of God. When the Holy Spirit comes in, He does that, and that love is to be released, and you just start releasing that love, one of the first things it'll do is create boldness in your life. I don't understand completely how it works, but I challenge you, you spend a week and try to love on everybody around you and see what happens. You'll you'll have trouble keeping your feet on the ground because love just creates a sense of boldness. And this is beyond comprehension for me, but this is what it says, is that if we live in love and we allow love to be perfected in us, manifested in us, one day we'll stand before the judgment of God with a great sense of boldness. I can't even imagine that. But isn't, isn't that a powerful statement? And then, and then uh, verse 18 says that if we walk in love, it takes away our fear. Most people in the world won't open up to just everybody, but as pastor, I hear people open up all the time. people are just overwhelmed with fear today. You walk in love. You let the love of God flow through you, and that fear will be expelled. In fact, this is one of my favorite statements in the whole text, but perfect love casts out fear. You start walking in the perfect love of God and your fears will begin to dissipate. In verse 20, he says it exposes the hypocrite. Man, you, you just can't miss John's language. He said, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? He's a liar. He's a hypocrite. You see, you see, love will give you boldness. It'll take away your fear. It'll expose the hypocrites. In chapter five, verse one, he says it identifies the true children of God. In verses two and three, he says it's synonymous with obedience. Love causes us to be obedient. I, now, th- th- this is an amazing thing. When you read the Bible and you obey the Bible, it causes you to love the Lord. But if you will let the love of God begin to flow in your heart, it'll drive you. You will fall in love with the Scriptures again. In verse 3, he says, it lifts our burdens. It's not burdensome. In verse 4, he says, through it we overcome the world and become victorious. And in verse 5, he says, it strengthens our faith. We can walk in faith because His love fills our hearts and pulsates through every part of our being. Now, I know that's a lot to digest. But, but I just want you to understand that John's talking about boldness. He's talking about getting rid of the fear in your life. He's talking about obeying Scriptures. He's talking about burdens being lifted. He's talking about uh, victory that overcomes the world. He's talking about walking in faith. And, and what he's doing is he's saying all of these things go together. They're all part of the same. Everything John is talking about is connected and held together by love. That love is the glue that holds all these things together. That, that love is the one thing that ties all these truths together. Now, if you think this is placing too much emphasis on love, you just don't understand what John is saying. Let me remind you again. John says God is love and love is God. What if I stood before you today and I said, okay, and I named 10 or 12 spiritual truths and I said all these truths are held together by God? You'd say amen, right? But what if I said all these truths are held together by love? You you see, friends, there is no difference between love and God. God is love and love is God. And John is just bringing it down to a practical level when he says love, but he's talking about God. And so you see, it's all held together by love. Jesus said exactly the same thing. Uh, notice Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Now, notice we're talking about love. They came to Jesus. They said, what's the first and great commandment? Jesus said, this is number one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Both the first and the second commandment, according to Jesus, deal with love. Now, notice verse 40. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. You see, it's all held together by the love that we have for God and by the love we have for one another. It's all tied together. It's all glued together. It's all connected by the first commandment, love the Lord your God. And the second commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said... Upon this truth hangs all the teachings, all the law, all the prophets. You see, friends, if you take all the teachings of the Bible, all the doctrines of the Bible, if you take all the truths of the Bible, they're all held together by love. And if you remove love, it'll all fall apart. It'll disintegrate. It will not work. I I, I fear sometimes that the church of Jesus Christ is developing into a loveless organization that's trying to hold on to the truth, but they have forgotten the one thing that holds it all together, and that's love. And that never means that we compromise the truth. It just means that we saturate every truth with the agape love of God. Take all the spiritual truths, they're held together by love. Take away love, it all falls apart. And by the way, that's not just unique to the Scriptures. Come on, let's be logical this morning. Let's think for a little bit about our own lives. Remove love from any part of your life, and it begins to break down. Marriage without love is a heartbreaking experience at best. Raising children without love is a disaster in the making. Having a job you don't love is a prison sentence. Going to a church you don't love is just painful. I hope nobody's in pain this morning. (laughs) A family without love is a never-ending battle. Living your life without love is a meaningless and wasted life. And trying to serve God without love turns into harsh legalism. There is no area of your life that will be healthy without love. If we could take a a spiritual blood test to see how healthy we are spiritually, the one thing we'd be looking for would be love. (laughs) Is the love of God abounding, filling, and saturating every area of your life? Now, let's just pause here. Because I know the inclination that some of us will say, okay, pastor, you've made your point. Love is the big deal. Where do I find it? Where do I go for it? How, how do I get there? How do I, how do I start loving like that? If you are a child of God, there is not an absence of love in your life. You see, see that would be to insult grace, wouldn't it? If you've been born, agra- uh, born again, there's not an absence of love in your life. When the Holy Spirit came in, He brought love. And He came in to fill your heart with love. There's not an absence of love in your life. There may be an absence of obedience and submission and surrender to walk out what has already been given to you. That could be the case. But I want every child of God in this house, if you know you're saved, if you know you've been born again, I want you to listen to me. You have the ability right now to start loving like God loves. That's a big statement, but you have the ability to start loving like God loves. You have the ability to surrender to what has already happened to you and allow the very love of God to begin to work in and through every facet Of your life. Now, do you know what happens when there's an absence of love? You do, you probably just don't know how to put it in words, but let me tell you, let me refresh your memory. Do you know what happens in the absence of love? Childish behavior. Now, hold on. What happens in the absence of love? is you don't grow up. You stop growing. You don't become a mature Christian and you don't become a mature adult. You just stop growing and maturing. I I read a special report that was uh, done by CBS and the title of this, and I went back and read the manuscript, the title of this was The Rise of Childish Workplace Behavior. And CBS presents this as a major problem in America today. Every one of the words I'm about to share with you, I took off uh, their report. These are major problems in the workplace in America today. Whining. Pouting. Temper tantrums. Tattling. You are not going to believe what I'm about to say. Making faces and making fun of coworkers. Really? Forming cliques. Saying mean, hurtful things about another worker. Storming out of the room. Oh, get this one. Refusing to share. Come on, this sounds like a kindergarten class, doesn't it? Why is all this happening in the workplace? And by the way, they went on the last one they said was bullying. Why in the world is this kind of stuff happening in the workplace? CBS said many of these actions would have gotten you sent to time out in kindergarten. (laughs) And yet that's what's going on in the workplace in America. What has happened to America? We have become imprisoned in adolescence. We stop growing up and maturing and becoming men and women of God who are mature in the faith. Why do adults look like children? Where love is absent, childish behavior prevails. By the way, many school teachers, and if you doubt this, we have quite a few school teachers in our church. Just ask a school teacher. Many school teachers complain that their biggest problem is not children acting like children, but their parents acting like children. <clears throat> Many teachers will tell you if we could just get the parents to act like adults and work with us, we could teach their children something. I want to tell you something, friends. When parents act like children, children don't have a chance in this world. And it's sad. Childish behavior. You may think that I'm talking about other people, but I might be talking about you right now. Do you behave childishly? How about in your marriage? How about in... The workplace. Do you ever behave childishly? I read the story about a husband and wife that argued frequently. And they followed a pretty standard pattern in their arguments. They would argue and fuss and fight and say mean, hateful, ugly things to one another until it would reach a point. And once it reached a boiling point, they would usually go, both of them, simultaneously into a silent mode. They would argue up to a point and then there would be a, and then they would pout like babies, immature. And then with this particular couple, the issue was who could last the longest without saying a word to the other one as if somehow that would punish them. And so they had been fussing all day long. They went into their pouting mode and they quit speaking to one another and the husband, bound and determined not to lose, he needed to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning. The alarm clock was on his wife's side of the bed and so he wrote a note and just the way he wrote it, he wrote the note and it said, wake me up at 6 o'clock in the morning, exclamation point, and put it on her side of the bed. And the next morning, he wakes up, and it is eight o'clock, and he is furious. He is angry. He wants to chew his wife out. And then he finds a piece of paper on his side of the bed, and it said, it's six o'clock. Wake up! (laughs) Exclamation point. May I suggest to you, friends, that the love of God which has been placed in our hearts from the moment of salvation, if we will submit and surrender and obey, it'll drive childishness out of our homes and out of our marriages and out of our workplace and out of our churches. Isn't it time we grow up? Hey, uh, since I'm on marriage... This woman goes to see a counselor. And when she gets to see this counselor, she walks in and she says, I don't even want to be here. She said, I just want to tell you right up front, I hate my husband. I despise him. I want a divorce. In fact, I want to tell you that nothing you say will make any difference in my life. I am going to divorce him. The only problem I have is I don't want to just divorce him. I want to hurt him. Ladies, please don't say amen right here. This is, <laughs> I don't have time for marriage counseling this next week. Um, she said, I just want to hurt him. And a very wise counselor said, okay, I can help you. She said, you can. It wasn't what she expected. She thought he'd try to talk her out of it. He said, no, I can help you. I can help you do this. She said, really? He said, yes. He said, if you hate your husband that much, let's devise a plan. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home today, and it will all be pretend. You're not going to mean a thing of it, a bit of it. But he said, I want you to go home, and I want you to start pretending like you love your husband. I want you to say nothing but nice things to him. I want you to build him up. I want you to brag on him. I want you to tell him day after day that he's the greatest person you've ever known. I want you to just make up things. If something goes wrong, you apologize. You take all the blame for it. And I want you to just just cater to him. I want you to love him or pretend like you love him like you did right after you first got married. And, and, and I want you to just woo him in until he falls madly in love with you again. And then when you know you have him and he has just fallen deeply in love with you again, then I want you to look at him and laugh in his face and say, I didn't mean a thing of it. Everything I've done for the last two or three months was phony and fake. I did it because I wanted to hurt you. I hate you. I despise you. And then he said, turn around and walk out the door and leave him wounded and bleeding. She hated her husband so much. She said, okay. I'll do it. So she went home and she put her plan to work. And about three months later, the counselor saw her and her husband in the mall together. They were not just holding hands. His arm was around her, her arm was around him. They were whispering in each other's ear. They were laughing and giggling. They were slipping kisses on cheeks when they didn't think anybody was watching. And the counselor just smiled. He knew exactly what had happened. But he called her anyway. He said, tell me the story. She said, well, the more I pretended that I loved him, the more he responded to that. And he loved me. And the more he loved me, the more I realized I loved him. And the more I realized that it might not be his fault, not all his fault, some of it may have been my fault. And I kept loving him and he loved me back. And she said, our marriage has never been better than it is right now. Thank you for the advice. You see, friends, love changes everything. <laughs> it changes everything in your life. It will. I, I want to make this statement, friends, most of the time, almost all of the time. But I can't go quite so far as to say all of the time. But love almost always changes everybody around you. But it always changes you. When you love, it changes you completely. I want to ask you, would you like to have boldness? Would, would you like to really walk with a humble sense of boldness in this life and know that when you stand before the Lord, it'll be well with your soul? Would you like to have fear driven from your life? Would you like to have burdens lifted off your shoulders and your load to become lighter and lighter? Would you like to live the victorious Christian life? Would you like to have faith that makes the difference in every day? Would you like to turn your marriage into a sanctuary of love and peace and continual joy? Would you like to raise children That will be world changers and make a difference in the world? Would you like to change every facet of your life? Then friends, the love factor is what you need to focus on. Because love will do every one of those things. Now hold on. I remind you one more time in closing that God is love. And love is God. And when you Put love to work in your life like that because God's put it in your heart. That's God working in your life. Would you bow with me in prayer?
0: Thank you again for listening to River of Life Podcast. If this message has touched you today or if you need somebody to pray with you, please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email at info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for more information and directions.